Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jesse theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created La Joy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello everyone. It is Wednesday and I have another um, special episode, I guess we could call it this week. Um, I really wanted to sit down with my husband and talk about what this coronavirus, social distancing, social isolation, economic downturn, all of this has meant to us because I realized we have a unique perspective um, in this time right now. We are entrepreneurs and we also are in the service industry and we are in the tourism industry and this has um, affected us deeply. Um, and so my husband's here to talk about that. But before we get into that, uh, I wanted to mention things. Um, so one is um, there's merchandise on my website and it's so precious. Uh, I've put the Prickly and Blooming logo on t-shirts, hats, and stickers so far. Um, we have a baseball type t-shirt that on the front says not today satan and the logo is on the back um there's some hoodies there's um a trucker cap uh, available in two colors white or white and green um what else uh stickers and the stickers have a full like prickly blooming logo or just the cactus only which i have mine here that i haven't stuck on anything yet the big cactus um does anybody else have sticker anxiety of like where am i going to stick it because once i stick it it's permanent even though I could just order more stickers. I don't know. It's a thing. I used to have a sticker book when I was a kid. My friend Val and I um, would put stickers in photo albums. Did anybody else do that? But you didn't stick them in. You just stuck them in underneath the plastic pages. And you kept them as like a uh, memoir of your sticker collection. And this was like scrapbooking, I guess, before scrapbooking and scrapbooking. You probably didn't have a sticker book, did you, dear? I did not scrapbook or sticker book. I didn't scrapbook, but I had sticker I probably book. had some skateboard stickers. But... Did you put them on a skateboard? No, we'd never put a skateboard sticker on a skateboard. Well, I guess that would be ridiculous. Okay, so there's merch, and it's at LaJoy Society, L-A-J-O-I-E Society, S-O-C-I-E-T-Y dot com, merch. It's really easy to find. Oh, did I mention this before, that there's free shipping on the hats and the shirts? Um, I can't offer free shipping on stickers, because if you think about it, that's the price of the sticker, so sorry. <laughs> but the, the sticker shipping is pretty nominal. Uh, so first thing, merch done. Second thing, um, 
I started this podcast in January. Uh, sure, it was like the last week of January, um, but I was aiming for January. And to structure this um, into kind of like a season format, we're going to take a break in June. So there'll be no new episodes in June. Or maybe there'll be something silly, but there won't be, you know, traditional interview episodes in June. A bit of a break. And then when I come back in July, July 2020, there will be what we would call season two. Of course, it'll be a similar format, but I'll be maybe adding a couple new things. I don't know. But we're going to take a break in June, come back in July, and then the same thing again, like later in the year. I'm going to take December off and come back in January. So it kind of is a nice break up the year, five months on, one month off, five months on, one month off. So I just want to catch you up on that schedule. And I want to say my um, gratitude again to all the women who have been part of this project with me. I have this, you know, wild idea that by sharing these stories, you know, we can make the world like a, a little more loving and a little more compassionate and em emp grow empathy, which is um, something that we're all exercising right now, our little empathic muscles. Um, so this project feels really relevant right now. And I'm just so grateful for all these women who've taken the time to sit down with me and, you know, share their, their dark times and their tough things and, you know, the, the places that they decided to rise up from and, you know, make beautiful things happen in their lives. So thank you all. And thank you all for listening. And so this week, because everything feels different right now, and we're in the middle of this unprecedented time, it feels very relevant to talk about it right now. Uh, so I wanted to really personalize this situation and the economic you know, um, downturn we're experiencing. We haven't even really come up with a catchy name for it yet, I don't think, because we're still very much in the middle of it. What that means to a, a special segment of the population of small business owners, which is my husband and I, we, you know, I've talked about how we operate small businesses and we have coffee shops, but I haven't really talked about it very much. And obviously right now the world understands the value or maybe our country, you know, understands the value of small business. And we're seeing the role that they're playing in our economy because they're not there <laughs> and the restaurants are closed and we're feeling their presence. Um, you know, I know some states are starting to reopen and we're at a transition time. But so before this, you know, period of bizarre, uh, unprecedentedness, is that a word? Unprecedentedness? Two, one too many S's in there. Yeah. <laughs> Before this time is over, I wanted to sit down with my husband and talk about it. And I realized, oh, geez, you know, June is coming up. The, my break in episodes is coming up. So we need to sit down and have this conversation. So I guess I need to like officially introduce you. Daniel Browning, would you like to tell me a little bit about yourself? And then after that, you can share about um, our business. But would you like to start with yourself first? Uh, let's see. Well, first off, I want to say I'm honored to be your first male guest here. Uh, full disclosure, I kind of hoped it would be Trent Shelton because he's so cute, but I'm happy to be your second choice. So I'll take it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Yes. Yes. Uh, about me, I'm a Taurus. Um, <laughs> no, I... Uh, <laughs> snorted. He snorted. <laughs> Definitely won't cut that part out. Sorry. <laughs> no. Gotta lighten it up. Um, no. So I uh, I am a 
first and foremost, your husband, also the father of your children. Yes. And then throughout the process of our life, uh, we are also business partners together on our business that is started out its life as uh, the vision of two 27-year-olds to own their very own laundromat in a tiny West Texas town of Marfa. And then eventually through circumstances, it became coffee shop to add on to our laundromat. Jesse, you had worked your way through college and before and beyond being a barista and knew the knew the industry. And there was a opportunity in our town that didn't wasn't going to have a coffee shop. So we took the opportunity and opened one up. A few years after that, we opened up our second location in another town that's 30 miles away uh, called Alpine. We started with a coffee shop there and then later added uh, the laundromat onto that location. And then a few years after that, now we've moved to San Angelo and uh, we're working on opening our third location, which will be a all day cafe and also expand to kind of some beer and wine and light food and things like that. So in addition to that, we have four children together sprinkled basically evenly in between every business on off years. Yeah. Here we are. Could you tell us, Daniel, uh, like how many employees we're operating with, how that works, how, I mean, the business structure, because I think this is uh, something that's tricky for people to understand. And I still sometimes struggle with it. I'm like, wait, we're at what? And the what? Our IRS, you know, filings. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we uh, we employ uh, both of the owners are are owners of the company. And then we have a general manager of two of our locations. And then we usually have between seven and 10 other part-time employees that fill all the shifts at the, uh, at both of the coffee shops. And we have another longtime employee who has worked for us since she was in high school, uh, who takes care of one of the laundromats. So we usually fluctuate at around nine to 11 employees. So we are an LLC. And we are compensated uh, through our company by a, um, what we would call guaranteed payments. Thank you. Guaranteed payments. And um, why I'm talking about this is it's relevant to um, something we'll get to later about, you know, the um, funds available from the government to help small businesses during this time. Um, so I just wanted to be clear about that because there's there's a lot of confusion and there was a lot of rollout confusion of, of funds of you know how your business was structured and how available the funds were to you and how you paid yourself from your business and you know whether you were DBA and yada 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 of course if you had filed your taxes so I wanted to take a minute to mention that so we went to Florida in February did we not we did we did got that out of the way before it all Fell apart. Right. We had an amazing we vacation. Pre-relaxed. We pre-relaxed. We, yeah, we put, put on the front end of the year, we put a vacation, which was highly unusual for us. Uh, we have never gotten on an airplane as a family of six, of six and flown somewhere. Well, I don't think we ever actually have gotten on an airplane and flown somewhere as a family and gone on a vacation. I think that was the first time for that entirely. Uh, and when we came back, think that I mean I think when we flew I think I knew that the coronavirus I think at that point it was in Washington let's say right yeah I think we knew about that yeah um and then like 10 days later is when the kids kind of 
got off for spring break. And so could you tell people, you know, what we were doing for spring break? So it's spring break, which is always in our business, very, very busy time of year. Uh, up until last year, we had had a linen service that did hotel linens uh, and restaurant linens for, you know, the primarily in the town of Marfa. Uh, and it was very, very busy time of year because of spring break. We were always slammed with work and never had the opportunity to really have fun or do anything fun on Christmas break because we had extra work to do. Or spring break. Or spring break. I say summer. You said Christmas. Christmas. It was all the same. We, don't, we don't have fun on Christmas break either. No, Go ahead. None of that. Just works. All it ever ends up getting. So we decided since we never get to have spring break fun that we would go to Marfa and have some spring break fun there since we had moved and hadn't been back and seen the kids friends or our friends really since we had left town it was going to be a, a good time and uh we pulled in to Marfa and our motorhome and got got that settled in and went over to a friend's house and I think the kids had hugged and said hello right they were all playing they were all playing and we Trampoline. had just sat down in the chair when a friend of ours texted that she had just heard about some people who had just traveled from New York. So it had made it to New York by the time spring break. Right, spring break had hit, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had just traveled back from New York and they were all quarantined uh, with they the were pending symptoms. tests. Right, right. And, and we can identify now that that was the moment where things went, oh, like yeah. when you could feel it hit your world, yeah, if you will. It all got real. It all got real at that moment. Um, I believe by the end of the day, a couple of restaurants had gone to to go only and then shut down, you know, by the next day. I feel like there was a couple of restaurants. And then, so this was the end of that spring break week. That Friday of that week is when Trump declared it uh, a national emergency. While we were in Marathon Spring Break. And whereas it was at a time of uncertainty and I felt, you know, we needed to, you know, be there to take care of our business, we also needed to be home. Uh, we were, you know, in a motorhome with our six kids. So we went, came back here to San Angelo that Saturday and settled into what we thought would be another week off. <laughs> um, of school for the children and this is this is when things really started to change rapidly and so would you like to um actually you know before we left marfa we transitioned everything to go from our places yeah. didn't we yeah before we left marfa to head home um we transitioned everything i remember being outside of our shop in alpine and going back in and putting the chairs up and yeah the, we were definitely on the kind of edge of any kind of information that had given out and we right away went to you know getting rid of any condiments that were out on the tables we removed a lot of the chairs and still allowed people to to come in but we switched to a to-go only model right in the beginning um some other people had just shut down right away or done other things, but as soon as the the threat felt so real from that the news that we had found out, uh, you know, it really 
jumped us into action right away of just preparing our space and our shops to go to, you know, minimize the, any kind of potential that we could. Um, I want to explain our business a little more is that we have pretty low uh, contact um, spaces anyway. We are mostly to go. Um, sure. We definitely have chairs in our spots, but um, it's mostly a grab and go sort of place. So it was very easy to transition. We don't have table service. We don't offer full food. It's all grab and go kind of muffins, scones, cookies, that sort of thing. So moving to to go was very quickly and easily done mm -hmm. and that was the obvious first step um i just want to clarify that it's not like a full restaurant where we were you know uh, serving you know burritos and eggs to go you know it was, it was it's already very much grab and go sort of situation so that was an easy transition to make so i think that lasted for a couple days and then um what um we were here uh, from a distance now, um, what uh, pivot did we make after that? I think it was like another week. It was, uh, yeah, week, five days. Time's basically irrelevant, moving so quick and so slow at the same time. It's hard to keep track. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that, the next one we had done too was just uh, not allowing anyone inside the building at all. And uh, everyone was just at the door ordering. Right. So we. I believe we quickly jumped into you were transitioning the menu to an online ordering system, which was partially set up by our software company previously, but we hadn't used it before because they don't have an online payment system integrated into it. So we were, it was kind of on our simmer in the back of our priority list to get it done. And I worked on some quick landing page sort of thing, websites um, for each location so that people could access our online menu quickly. Yeah, set up our menu to be, you know, function as if the customer from their phone or, or computer could order exactly like they would. Every item had the normal amount of variables that would go into a drink as far as the number of shots, different kind of syrups, like all the options were an option on all on all drinks so that, you know, it made it really easy to customize your drink because when coffee, you know, getting everything, right. all the all the amount of milk, creamer, and sugar all just right exactly the way you like. It's difficult to uh, translate into online ordering. And, yes. Uh, How light do you want your coffee to be? Yes. And uh, so we transitioned to an online ordering system and picking up at the door. Um, encourage people to, you know, pay with Venmo or PayPal, contactless or even completely contactless, uh, but still took credit cards at the door. Just did whatever we could to make it uh, cater our business to where we could continue to exist and survive. And, you know, what we saw from the very beginning would be sort of a, a new normal, at least for the, for the short term. Right. And what did it feel like? I mean, I remember just a very bristle feelings we were having of being so far away. And I know we were in Marfa and maybe we could have stayed, but we had no idea what was going on. Um, like we thought it would, you know, we had to also kind of be home. We had four children and we all couldn't stay in the motorhome for an undetermined amount of time but it was just a very tricky experience for us to manage and feel this out from afar do you want to speak to anything that you remember from that time of you know how you felt called to action how you jumped to action how you know what what it felt like for you that definitely remember even before we went to any kind of online ordering or anything our first response was to reach out uh, as a group and individually of all our employees and check their temperature and how they felt as far as, 
not literally check their temperature. Not literally <laughs> check their temperature at that point. Yeah, but check their check their feelings of how they felt about safety and protocols and whether they wanted to continue working. Um, and really, I can remember very strong communication with them so that they knew where our thoughts were, where our actions were going to be, our intentions of keeping them safe uh, and employed. Because by the time most of that had hit, you know, they had already started to shut down the town around us and shut down the hotels and all of their friends had lost their jobs uh, and everybody, you know, part-time workers still really nervous to lose any kind of employment that they have. Um, and so we really spent a lot of time communicating with them to make sure that, you know, their, all their comfort levels were met and that, you know, um, we had not their permission, but their blessing in a sense to, to be able to proceed with staying open and making sure that they felt everything was in place to allow everybody to operate safely. That was a, a major first step that we took was making sure their comfort level was there. Right, right. And so then after we, um, this was ahead of, you know, the orders from the state to close down, you know, dining rooms and restaurants. And I should mention that we are uh, licensed as a restaurant, even though, you know, like I said previously, we don't have full, you know, table service and food. There's no special license for coffee shops. You know, you're either food service or not. Um, and so we have the same license as, you know, a sit down restaurant in our town or in your town, you know, in Texas. So we are deemed essential service um, and the laundromats are 100% deemed essential service. So we always, I mean, everything was changing so fast. We, we always didn't know anything. That's not a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, things were, um, I guess, no, I, I understood that the laundromat would always remain open. I yeah. don't think that, you know, that was, it. that was never in question. But so as we, we stayed ahead of the curve, if you will, the head of the, um, that's what I'm looking for the directives from the state and we made a no contact situation happen before we needed to but then something happened locally that changed things for us would you like to speak to that a little bit yeah so on a local level I mean obviously Marfa's primary industry is tourism and so a major majority of the people that work there are also tourism um, obviously, one of the first thing that, you know, Marfa being a very small town with limited medical resources, the cities and counties in the area were very. Well, and let's for a moment speak. It's very remote. The closest city, large city, populous city um, would either be El Paso or Milano Odessa. And those are 200 miles yeah. away. The closest Walmart is 100 miles away. We're talking remote, very remote. real remote. Right. And so resources are, are precious. And uh, so they made the decision to shut down hotels and short-term rentals, which does uh, not do good things for tourism. Right, right. Well, because it, it definitely became a time of, I'm trying to remember when social distancing became like a, a directive. Yeah, it was, it was in that time period after we- time, right. So of course, you know, vacations don't really need to continue on when we're in a social distancing directives, if you will. Yeah. Right. So, so Marfa, you know, sh shut down hotels, Airbnbs, 
and you know i, I remember people kind of dwindled out of town kind of before that i feel like yeah there was like time. a three or four day warning after they did right it. there was right. one more weekend of still had right. mixed tours. right and then i think after that is when they went to a shelter in place order yeah so yeah. tourism they shut down the hotels and motels for it was just a few days after that that they issued a shelter in place warning right right and then when that happened is when you know we took a real a harder hit we'd already just the just the shutting down hotels and motels and right away people losing their their jobs and their income um yeah that happened over a weekend basically i would the major majority of marfa just got fired from their jobs basically right right Um, right it's a tourism-based economy tourism is put on hold for a while you know right everyone's out of work so then you know there's a shelter in place orders and we know that um tourism season is basically over um then our local business um is now under shelter in place order so we made the decision at that point to shut our um shop in marfa right so that we could kind of maintain the or minimize the bleeding of of expenses um and we were still able to move everyone who could get to Alpine. Uh, we had other employees who were stuck in Marva that couldn't make it to Alpine. And we found uh, positions for all but one of them and, uh, and and just found other work taking care of things and, and then moved everybody to our Alpine location so that we could get their hours there. Right, and we I believe we cut down hours in Alpine. Yes, a little bit after that. We were open full full schedule for one more week and then also that location started to get really slow um, and at that point you know we didn't have any kind of any idea what the future looked like how long it was going to be where the money was coming from because at that point you know we had been our location one of our locations was closed and the other one wasn't doing good and then the third location was still kind of costing money at because we were still we're remodeling a, a third location, which is not a cheap endeavor. Right, right. Yeah, the, we should mention that when we came back from spring break here to San Angelo, we called off the contractors that were working on our, helping us getting um, our location here done. We went and said work has ceased for a while and you know just pause, huge pause uh, on the project here that we we're working on trying to open by this month, which is not going to happen. Clearly, we are not going to open a coffee shop before May <laughs> did not no, happen. Not today. Not, not today, Satan. Not today. So, I mean, there was, there was just a lot of unknown and panic. And we did a lot of hustling and moving and pivoting and, you know, what we could do. And I, I want to know, where did you learn this? Who told you how to do this? <laughs> how do we know what to do? Oh, we read the book on how to own a business. Oh, right. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's the book. The book. It's how to, how to run a successful business from the book. Right. The, right. How about the joy yeah. of running a business? The joy of running a business. We did read a book in the beginning called The Joy of Owning a Laundromat when we were doing our business plan. Did we? I slightly remember this. Yes. yes. Yeah. But I, what I wanted, to, I wanted to you to speak about is what is it that we access to know what to do all the time i mean it's 13 years of making decisions you know it's it's the fact that we in business 
nothing is ever known. You walk into business every single day knowing that there will be a problem and you're going to have to make a choice, make a decision, make act, call to action to, to get through that problem. You know, there's, there's not, there's not anybody to call. There's not anybody to call, you know, being a business owner is very isolating. You very much, you're making, you're making all, all the decisions, you're making all the everything and every decision that you make, you know, affects your customer's experience. It affects your customers, you know, day you know a lot of a lot of what we do is just like we're there we're we're selling you a latte but really we're there to start your day off right you know right every employee's action every bad experience that an employee and a customer happen to have reflects on you and you hear about it and everything about being in business is hard and so it's there's a certain amount of callousness that leads you to an ability to make hard decisions do tough things and draw on your experiences in order to make the decisions that you don't necessarily have planned for, you know, you, you know, there will always be a problem. I mean, there's been plenty of, I'll solve it. I'll solve it. You know, we have spare espresso machines for the event that the espresso machine goes down. You know, we have backup credit cards for the huge expenses that come up that we don't need. Like you, you intentionally build in redundancies and systems and put things in place so that you're prepared for everything and then something like this hits you and you're not prepared for it but right. well, that, i don't think anybody was prepared for it that doesn't allow you privilege of not making tough decisions and not having to get through it you know you still have to make those decisions you still have to draw on your experiences even in a, in a completely unknown situation with nothing to look to what decision did we we, we made the decision to close marfa and i think Another week later is when um, the the thing we were working on it was like week by week projects. Yeah, you know, it I was mean the, like, the decision to close Marfa was very emotional, very much. I yeah. mean, what did that feel like? I mean, I wrote a little thing about it that I could speak to you for a minute. I I wrote a little you know blog post and social media post about all that we had been through to get to this point in our business to be open for thirteen years now. I remember you know being pregnant and walking into work and opening a window and throwing up out the back window and then, you know, washing my hands, wiping my face and, you know, going and flipping the sign to open and unlocking the door. And I remember, you know, having our children in there with us. I remember, you know, you working late at nights and me being home and, you know, us working on the weekends and sacrifices, right. Right. Constant sacrifices and just all the stuff, you know, all the, the, the hard stuff that we had, you know, been through and it felt just very emotional. And I think a lot of people, you know, in this country, because there's so many small businesses and I'm hearing stories about it and, you know, on podcasts and reading stories about it of like the emotions of all of that, that you've poured into this business. And then it, it's so out of your control. You know, there's, there, there was no more pivoting. There was, there was just, you know, kind of a sense of defeat. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely had that. And that's, you know, all the sacrifices and everything are because you enjoy it and you want to do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. owning a small business. is not a job. I mean, it's not even, I believe it's a life. It's a life. It's not even a minimum wage job. Right. Entrepreneurship is not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And a mindset. It's the rewards are there, but they're not necessarily financial rewards. You know, it's you do it because 
you want to put yourself into a project that makes the world a better place, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, that helps people, that helps customers, that helps employees have jobs. Like that is the reward of doing it. And so just the, the feeling of, you know, all those, all the cones that you dodge and go around through all the years and all of a sudden you get to the end of the cones and there's wall giant wall, you know, that there's nothing you can do. That was the, was like, yeah, the proverbial wall, the hard spot to hit, but like, it's not in my control. And that's, you know, when your decision making still has to kick in and has to thrive and has to get through that. Right. So what went into like decision making? What factors were we thinking of at the time? You know, I mean, I know like a major one is there are, you know, our family of six you know, um, another family that is reliant upon our business. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's no less than 20 mouths that eat off of, you know, the the hard work of all of our employees, ourselves and mortgages and and rent. And even a tiny business fulfills a lot of liabilities for Mm -hmm, people. mm -hmm. Thinking of, you know, the students, you know, all their, um, tuition costs and, you know, their, um, student loans and all of that their car payments, insurance, right. um, there's, that's resting inside of every tiny little decision that's there. That mm-hmm. pressure to like mm-hmm. make the right choice is the weight that you feel mm-hmm. of knowing, like, it's not, you know, it's not a number on a piece of paper that's cashing a check that's on your payroll. It's like, if I, if I close this thing down, I'm not going to be able to pay that person who's not going to be able to go out and get a meal. You know, they're not going to be able to get groceries for their family during this time. Like those decisions are real and they're heavy mm-hmm. and you know, that's a factor in it. It's, right. It's the weight you carry. Right. So then um, I know around this time, if we back to a, like a timeline discussion around this time is when you started working on uh, making sure that we would be prepared and ready to um, apply for um, the PPP loan. Yeah, so we, I mean, I followed along kind of as the legislation was coming out, doing, reading every article I could, getting things, you know. Yeah, thanks. I wasn't reading any of those articles. Made, make, oh, they were great. They're great, <laughs> great reads, great reads. Uh, you know, making assumptions based on what we know, just getting everything, all the information that we could find about it, because I knew there would be some kind of, you know, bail out for for businesses or whatever it looked like and i knew it would be something in the form of you know a payroll a payroll type loan and so i followed along with all that fortunately during that time our cpa here was already working on our business and personal taxes so they continued on that process as the legislation was getting through congress and then and extensions were you know offered Yes. Yes. So they offered extensions, but instead of taking that extension, you know, we carried on and got everything. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. We weren't going to wait till July. Yeah. Fought along with the legislation. Uh, and then, you know, that was definitely our last kind of ace on the hole for the ability to, to stay open. We knew that was part of why we had moved our employees to one location was because we had hoped that we were going to be able to get a loan and, make that right our sales had already slipped to the point where we would not have survived without uh financial assistance without some kind of financial assistance right Uh, because we i mean we lost our income as well yeah we lost our income right away 
yeah. first. We were the first people. The first, to... always. First and last to get paid, always. Right. But I, I mean, last. I, I want to say, like, it, it wasn't, it, it's it's not just happening to our employees. This was happening, you know, to yeah. us as well. And, and you know, how are we going to pay our mortgage? Sure. And, you know, how are we going to pay our bills? Right. Um, and these are decisions that, you know, everybody in the United States was having. Right. You yeah. know, I, yeah. I was really beating myself up a lot during that time of not like I haven't prepared well enough. You know, I didn't have mm-hmm. systems in place to take care of this. This I didn't prepare for this problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to someone who is a very successful business person and has, you know, multiple large businesses. And that person had just left a payroll meeting and was having the exact same conversations. And, you know, uh, as it turned out, you know, we were better equipped to survive longer than they were. You right. Know, like it's not a, this wasn't a problem. And it, despite the amount of time spent beating myself up over the situation and how could I fix this or how can we do this? Like it was a, a universal problem that we were better prepared for than, than a huge amount of people. Right. And I, I, I think I remember you know, speaking to you about that and, and saying like, this is, we are not in a boat alone. You know, this is a huge cruise ship of small business owners that yeah. are in this boat. And I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make you feel better of like, oh, we're all in this boat together, but it's like, oh God, we're all in this boat together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. That's why I wanted to do this episode is this was a universal kind of situation that was happening. And our story is universal, you know, mm-hmm. as part of small businesses and also people who are employed and unemployed and, you know, continuing to work. And we can only speak to, you know, what we've lived and what we've walked through. But I think that um, we have now, you know, entered into, you know, full-blown financial panic and you're working on, you know, getting us ready to apply for the PPP loan. Um, and I believe with just, you know, you, you actually had everything ready to go so that the day that the first applications could be opened up and, you know, that oh, it's an important distinction of our business set up. And I understand we heard from lots of people who are DBAs and so they weren't included in the first go around of applying for the funds, correct? Uh, so a DB, a sole proprietor could, mm-hmm. but a 1040 contractor could not in the first, okay. the first week. Right. So there was a lot of confusion about that, but, um, right. Cause everyone was before, this was the first time for everyone about before, everything. Yeah. Before it all came out, we took the time to, you know, we knew the type of things that would be required got our business formation paperwork together. Uh, obviously our CPA finished and filed all of our taxes and had that in order. Our payroll documents are updated, you know, quarterly. So that was all ready to go. We collected all those things. Uh, we also talked to our San Angelo bank to see if they were doing PPP loans and they were not at that time an SBA approved lender, but they were willing to do some work on one of our equipment loans that we have with them for the new place. So we worked with our banks, did what we could to get, uh, you know, continuances on payments or delays or whatever we could to, you know, financially brace ourselves for whatever the hit was going to be. Right. Because even at this point, we knew that this is going to take longer to build back up than it has to unravel. Yeah. Yeah. So then the first few hours where the, so our, our bank in San Angelo wasn't able to do it. But I did reach out to our, one of our other banks in Alpine 
And they said, responded, yes, we're already an SBA lender. We're equipped. But here is the a link to a page that has all the details of how you need to apply. Um, and I was on their online portal and applying even before that actual portal was open, the, the, the full portal. Um, the so federal I, on the federal level on the federal okay level so you board. were you were able to apply to this bank was on top of it yeah i mean it was uh, they were already SBA on, it was basically the same like five o'clock on a friday afternoon when they opened the portal up federally that, federally yeah and then i had already had the application turned in by that time but it was on the same day right and then i worked with the bank throughout the weekend through saturday and sunday and actually at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday night, got an email from our local bank who was still working, uh, the approval letter for the PPP. And they, you know, they funded us basically for most of what we asked for. We got, you know, our, our what our, our uh, 941s, mm -hmm. so the, we gave them the paperwork that they required in order to prove mm -hmm. what our income is. We had all that order and got what our payroll costs would be for two and a half months. Got that done over a weekend because of the preparedness that we've had in the past. And, you know, we, we always kind of, certainly I'm always hard on us for not being, you know, I, I always question the legitimacy of our business and it's not big enough. It's, you know, we're not doing everything the right way. You know, I kind of stress those things and worry like we're just small potatoes and then navigating a process like that so quickly and efficiently was very uh, rewarding, honestly, to, you know, know that like, oh, well, actually we do have things and, and very good order and are able to to quickly navigate this difficult process and so that that loan then got funded you know a few days after that and we notified our our employees you know that we had gotten a loan and rest assured with them because they were they were concerned like if if one person would get one less shift than they normally would i would get a concerned message like hey do i need to be alarmed are we all going to lose our jobs and like no i just trying to fit you know Right. Trying to fit 11 employees, it's nine employees into 14 shifts. Right. So we very quickly informed them and let them know that, it, you know, we were going to be able to keep their jobs and keep them on and navigate the storm. Um, and really, I mean, it was just a matter of getting a silly government loan, but it was very encouraging, inspiring for me to know, like, we got this because we do things the right way and we do take this seriously. You know, from there, I at, at that point had become quite the expert and I'd set it on a few conference calls from SBAs. And in one of the conference calls, I was kind of being a little bit maybe too aggressive, trying to give answers and solutions. And the, the local SBA was getting some things wrong and I'd corrected them on it. <laughs> and uh, so unlike you. Yeah, isn't it? Uh -huh. And uh, usually so, so I kind of usually so mousy. Yeah, I am. I tend to be. So I decided that I would, you know, since we had gotten this and navigated the process, I wanted to start the process of reaching out to other people and helping people through it. And so I, you know, did some Facebook posts and tried to reach out to whoever in general I thought would be navigating the process and, and help them uh, give them some assurance. And as far as I know, at least one person who has, I believe, gotten funded just now or is just about to get funded uh, through some advice was able to do it. And what, you know, what ultimately stopped a lot of people was just their, their formation. The fact that, you know, they paid to themselves is just a DBA and put everything on their own taxes and didn't show any kind of profits, kind of the Achilles heel for a lot of people, mm -hmm. unfortunately. 
during this time as well. You know, I, I want to uh, maybe zoom zoom back out a little bit. Is you know, this is about the time that we were able actually to literally zoom back out because uh, you and I were so hyper focused on you know keeping things afloat and keeping things moving and knowing what we needed to do, knowing what we needed to change and how we needed to pivot. And around this time when you know funds start arriving and we know we have like a a, a lifeline to survive and pay our employees and you know keep ourselves going is when we were able to kind of look around and be like oh man we got four kids at home <laughs> yeah luckily we had that week of extended spring break to finalize all those things right yeah yeah we had um you know when we first you know, dove into this time um they were home just on an extended spring break and then they had one week of getting used to online learning and then they had so in that time when they were really loose with what they had needed to do and accomplish and have tasks um, is a time when you and I were super deep and you know that was that was the time where it was like what day is it have you gotten out of those clothes in three days or it's your shower day right it's your shower day you know because it was just a lot of phone calls it was a lot of uh, conference calls. It was, I mean, we ended up on a conference call that, you know, with a bunch of real business leaders in Texas workforce commission. I mean, it was just like, things are changing so fast. And anyway, searching so, for information, yes, and answers. searching for information and answers and just updates and, you know, what's, what's expected and what's, you know, what's not relevant that was relevant yesterday. And, and of course, like one thing that we're not talking about, and we will talk about it is, you know, the, the health and safety of this all um because i feel like there's there's two things going on there's a you know obvious huge pandemic that is killing people and i just cannot wrap my mind around that sixty thousand americans have died from this in the last you know two months and then there's also this economic fallout and you know we're telling our story and our story has a lot more to do with the economic fallout um, as small business owners, and this yeah. is yeah, we're lucky that this is the problem. Right? Yeah, we're lucky that this is the problem we have. But I feel like it's you know it's not a singular problem, and there's a lot of people feeling this and experiencing this, and you know maybe possibly wondering like what is this like for a small business owner? You know, I've had a lot of people say to me, I've thought about you, and I've wondered what's been going on and how you know it was a class I took, and it ended on March seventeenth, and you know the end of the the last class we all talked about you know, what the world was going to be like for us because it was already kind of starting to, you know, be obvious at that point. And, you know, people, we had a little catch up this week and it had been six weeks and they were like, I've been thinking about you and how this was affecting you because we knew you were in a, you know, tourism service industry, you know, and we knew that that place of our economy is hit hard. But then there's also the other context of our life is that now we have children home and they need to be schooled. And... <laughs> they need more hands-on than some and less hands-on you know we have a full spectrum of right now we have you know five year olds up to a 12 year old and um you know of course the the 12 year old is is uh, achieving you know college distance learning levels possibly i'm not sure if they're doing it all in their room <laughs> i check in every day but it's you know it's a different expectations than attending middle school and we also have our precious little kindergartner who kindergarten is certainly not supposed to be done distance learning um set up she just wants to see her teacher right she and just they're wants... all dealing with their own loss of normals and 
routines and difficult emotions for them to understand and for reasons that they can they can kind of understand the reasons yeah, not really they just say the virus the virus yeah. the virus but yeah successfully navigating our family's emotions and needs through all of this process right in the midst of in the midst of like i mean panic panic you, yeah. you and i had no i mean we were dealing with the very real threat of losing our business and every sacrifice we had made for 13 years like that was the the bucket of tar that i was on top of the ladder we were trying to climb while we were carrying four kids up you know right <laughs> let's do some sight words yes let's do some sight words <laughs> right and so i want to i wanted to speak to you know and maybe i can um during this time of how it, it played out with our family and how you know it, it looks our days look right now so whereas previously you know get the kids off to school and then daniel and i as entrepreneurs it's very you know it's different it's not you know going in nine to five at a job you know we we would be in the we were in the process of opening a business so let's say this school year we drop off the kids at school we'd come back home we both had our lists of you know kind of tasks to do of you know license this license that apply for this account for that set up a meeting here set up a meeting there you know like we we never know you know what our job is and we're doing everything mm, yeah right you know our job is undefined and all-encompassing so many years ago i wake up every day idea every day with no idea what i'm going to do that day and i never get it all done right right so we were in that process um and our division of labor had become for the last few months that you had been like let's say being facilities you were working at the actual building um and overseeing and working on the stuff that i don't know how to do and i don't really have any interest in being on a ladder and doing that stuff so i was doing the more office type of work and you know working on a liquor license and applying for permits and you know, i don't know that kind of stuff so then when this this all kind of happened and our world got shook you know we, of course no one left the house obviously and then it got to the point where okay things were stabilizing and you know we did need to continue to make progress on our location here and the, uh, the children still had massive needs of schooling though and so we you know how i just wanted to talk about how we balance that all so what we're doing now is we're getting up in the morning three of the kids have eight and we have nine o'clock start times for they have a zoom call they need to attend and attendance is being taken um so we're up and we've had our coffee and we're waking them up and we're getting them breakfast and we're making sure they get on their calls and then you and i are both here at the house until about lunchtime or after lunchtime and we're helping navigate kindergarten because that is a very hands-on grade for distance learning very. very the next grade we have is a second grader and she needs a little you know drawing to the focus you know draw her back to the focus and then you know the third grader is very independent she's practically in college um, and then of course our our eldest middle schooler does not want directives does not want directives <laughs> No, that's uh, like we have a teenager. I mean, 12 is 13, really. But there, I mean, there there was a couple of weeks where, you know, things were getting a little squirrely there. And then what was so funny is that, you know, 
we were, we were worried like middle school work's not getting done and we're just going to start putting a hammer down. And then the school sent out a mass email that was like, everyone is behind. Everyone has one more week. It was just like the personal is universal or whatever you want to call it. You know, everyone at the middle school apparently was struggling. And so they readjusted expectations, you know, gave everybody next week, readjusted expectations. And now things to be moving forward. But so as, you know, a family, we have the luxury of, you know, of being able to focus in the mornings. And when I say focus, we're still like, you're jumping on a call, you're sending an email, I'm sending an email, I'm following up with someone about an interview for, you know, this whole project. You know, we're, we're doing this dance. Focus is usually sleep. Yeah. And I think we navigate that through, uh, I say it a lot, but just through intention, you know, like Mm -hmm. we know that this isn't forever. We know that this is difficult for everyone in our family. Um, we give each other grace to not push our oldest to have to do things. You know, if someone's having a day that they can't do it, like we all rely on each other as a family unit to get us through this. And there's days when I have less capacity and you have more, and there's days when you have more capacity and, you know, we, or you have less capacity and I have more. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, <laughs> there's both days to go both ways, you know, and there's, definitely days when one kid has more or less capacity to, to handle the problems and to deal with things. And we just constantly a- adjust our, you know, not expectations, because I, I think we expect everyone to be respectful of each other, to not push their own boundaries, and to just, you know, get through this with, with a certain level of, you know, we're trying to minimize the emotional impact way more than maximize any amount of productivity. Mm-hmm. And if there's time left it kind of at the midway part of the day and we're everybody is feeling up to it then we'll go into our own projects and focus on our, the work that we have to do but certainly our level of productivity on each of our individual things is you know i think rightfully so the expectations of our own productivity has gone down a lot and that has really been crucial certainly for me personally to have very low expectations of you know what i want to make myself do because I'm not letting myself down. I'm not on a, a dead self-imposed deadline to try to get something done, you know, and it allows me giving myself the grace. Like, oh, you didn't get to that today, tomorrow, you know? Um, and I think that's manana. Manana. <laughs> uh, and just, you know, being there for each other as a family, I think is, is the, the way to get through it. It's not, there's nothing we could do to make this not suck. We just have to, you know, minimize the emotional impact it's the most important thing. right and i you know i want to acknowledge that what is helping you know us right now is one that you know we are flexible in our time you know before noon we are focused on you know getting the children through school it's not that i'm trying to balance a you know graphic design job from afar between no. nine and noon so that's a super you know yeah, it's got to be really difficult for parents that that right. you know that work goes on from work goes on. They're yeah. they're trying to do a full eight hour job on top of their kids right, right. For the, for, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. understand that we were, you know, um, allowed to exhale, um, knowing that you know we had payroll met for this yeah. you know interim amount of time. Let me try to think Moving of... forward, talk about back to any emotions. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, I wanted. to I wanted to just mention more about 
um, the the expectations um, on mothers right now, I believe, you know, has has probably been higher than fathers, and that's just indicative of our social norms right now. Yeah. Um, but something that you know, I I know and I value is that I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want to say that I can do it all and release you from a sense of duty of participating at a, you know, 50% capacity in this family during this time, you know, like there's, there's a lot of self-imposed pressure, you know, where I'm like, Oh, I could do it. You know, I can tell Daniel he could go and don't worry. I got this all. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a second. No, uh, we've done this before and I, I wrote that article coming from the standpoint of how this time is reminding me so much of of having newborns in postpartum time and I know that that wasn't a good model and it wasn't you know a long-term solution for maintaining you know our mental health within our family and so I'm choosing to make that a priority right now the kind of lessons learned from from you know past experiences of I I don't want to take it all on and I don't want to overburden myself during this time uh, um, because I did that before it didn't work out got dark <laughs> um, and again like I understand that that is you know a source of of privilege to be able to say that no I need you home and I need you to be executing homeschool with me and that I don't want to do it all and that we have a lot of kids and right but if, mm -hmm. I mean that that is our privilege but I don't for me personally I don't accept work as a reason for a husband and a father not contributing their their equal due I mean maybe right but I think that there's this like it's an emergency feeling Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this unprecedented emergency feeling. And um, another part of it is that, you know, financial aspect. And like, it's interesting then because our direct work doesn't, you know, produce direct income. It's more of a larger picture yeah. of the work that we do. And you do and I do, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to place, you know, value in a time of emergency. Well, it's like an ethereal concept of work where it's not direct payment for hours put in. Right, right, you know. right. And there's definitely tons of families that are in that position. I, mm -hmm. I still see a, regardless of the amount of, at what time the time is structured, you know, it's everyone in a family should put in their part to, to support the family, mm -hmm. you know. And it's, it's hard right now. And it's I, really and I hard. say that because it's one of my personal peeves of like, you know, I see dudes out drinking beer at the end of the day, standing in the alley because they're tired from a long day of work. Mm -hmm. Like I've had my times when I have a beer at the end of work, but I don't personally like see go to that place where like that's my excuse for not doing the work to help the family is because I've I've had that time, you know. Right. And so I don't I I'm very cautious of that. I'm aware of that. And it's for a personal level for me, when I hear, I hear someone say something like, oh yeah, well, my wife is struggling with the homeschooling. It, it, 
gives me a visceral reaction and it, it just upsets me because I'm like, no, that's not your wife's job. Mm-hmm. Maybe your wife is the one that's at the house doing it more often, but it's still in your responsibilities as a father. I don't know. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a loaded lot of expectations right now. And nobody knows, nobody knows what they're doing. And I, I think it's just absolutely, you know, 100% uh, will be put on moms to, you know, execute school more. Um, And I just want to encourage, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, if, you know, the non-default parent can you know be allowed some grace with their work situation to you know participate in school i highly encourage that you know in ending and then some you know we had talked about how we wanted um to discuss like again how we're just talking about what this means to us and we understand the greater situation that's happening in our country in our world and we know that we're not in the trenches of this. We know that, you know, we're not a doctor watching people die before they're even admitted into hospitals. And it's hard, you know, to read these stories and not get overwhelmed with emotion and not feel that our struggles are meaningless. Yeah, no, it's, there's a lot of people that this is affected in the far greater level than we could right you know on a financial and physical and you know yeah. uh, physical health you know level and i understand that and think that it's important to talk about you know the reality for me and the reality for you and because i know it's the reality for a lot of um i, mean, I wish i had done um, a little research of how many, maybe, you know, off the cuff, like and what percentage of the economy is owned by small businesses and like this, the less, you know, less than a hundred employees. It's, it's something very large in our country. It's pretty substantial, yeah. yeah, it's pretty substantial. So I know our story is a universal story. And I know that, you know, in our hearts and minds are constantly, you know, the people that, you know, are on the front lines of this. And I know that we're not on the front lines of this. And I mean, I consider we're on, a line of the economic fallout from this for mm-hmm. sure you know uh, our industry yeah, there's, there's two there's two tragedies at the same time right right yeah there's two storylines unfolding if you will yeah and i just want to express and i know you wanted to too our understanding and appreciation and do you want to speak anything i don't want to yeah i mean obviously to really want to thank everybody who is you know trying to stop the spread of this disease and dealing with the people that have been lost to the disease and the real world emotional consequences you know of the, the tragedy of it all that that weighs heavy on the whole world and on us too and you know i'm thankful that we are able to focus just on the small aspects of of our own lives because of the people who are willing to focus on the the safety of everyone's right care for humanity the physical care for humanity Mm. i mean i also wanted to you know have this conversation that if there are other entrepreneurs out there like long before any sort of you know economic pitfall that we stepped into this year entrepreneurship is very isolating and it's kind of 
untold stories. It's very amorphous and people don't quite know what you do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not structured sometimes. And I, there's a lot of mythology around owning your own business and being an entrepreneur, you know, be your own boss. They said, um, and you know, never work a day in your life. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, there's so many of those. Um, and I think that talking about it, gosh, it just always helps the isolation. So I will, why I started this whole little soliloquy was if there was other entrepreneurs out there who um, wanted to reach out or, you know, just say like, yeah, man, fucking same, you know, same girl, girl, same, <laughs> that gif. Uh, everyone knows that that one girl did the head move that we're here and, you know, um, we'd love to talk and, you know, we've had a couple conversations locally in zoom calls with other business people and entrepreneurs about, you know, how they're making changes and, you know, what they can add or what they can subtract from their businesses. And we're always here for these conversations. Um, you know, like I said, I, entrepreneurship is so isolating and it's double isolating at this time, especially if you shut down your business, you know, you could have been in your business every day for the last 20 years. And then five weeks ago was the you know, first time you hadn't stepped through the door every day. And like, we understand what that feels like. And anyway, if you're there, and you want to reach out, um, you know where I am. And I'm at LaJoy Society on Instagram and Facebook and my website. And you can contact me through the website. There's a little contact form where you just put in your name and email and your message. And it comes right to my computer and to my phone. It's very handy. And so, Daniel, mm-hmm. I always, I forgot this question. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I mean, I guess I'd like, you know, obviously the next step is if, certainly from our businesses, rebuilding everything rebuilding business and if you are lucky enough many many businesses will not be lucky enough to make it to the other side of this you know you need to definitely look around take stock of what you've done wrong what you've done right and figure i don't out. know that i like that verbiage of what you how about where you where you excelled where you excelled okay <laughs> where you excelled where right. you where work where where um something that needs focus i don't like these it, right and wrong words if you're lucky enough to make it on the other side of this, you know, you should celebrate your wins and celebrate your victories and do uh, evaluate everything. See right. what, what you can do best to, to make things even better. And what I would really like to encourage, we right away got with some other business owners and put together a program of like, hey, let's give back to the community. Uh, let's, give, let's give out some free food, free drinks, help everybody you know, what we call it, a taste of normal, you know, and just give back and, and be there for your community. If you want your, like your community to just show back up for you because, you know, the the days of being closed are, are over, but you, as a business owner, will still have a long fight. It's just the, the reality of it. And right, right. Places might be starting to open again, and but it's all going to be, so it's going to be so much harder to roll our, um, especially if, in a tourism economy, you know, yeah. to roll things back up to what we were used to for a while. I don't know. And, you know, uh, we're going to see, we could be back in full lockdown in two weeks. We could. Uh, not, I don't know, full lockdown, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see how, because um, we are in Texas and the governor has opened the state up a little bit, if you will. Um, we'll see what happens. All right. Again, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Well, Joy Society, L-A-J-O-I-E. 
S-O-C-I-E-T-Y. I'll see you for the next few weeks uh, to finish out the month of May, and then we'll take a little break. Um, and thank you so much, and I hope that you found some value in hearing the stories of entrepreneurs in the time of the COVID-19. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. One more time. Bye. No, one more time. You all right, all right, all right. <laughs> that was it. That was the one you wanted? Yeah, that was what I was looking for. Everything up to this point has led me here and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense i